Our opening reading from God's Word this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Praise be to God for his word. Our second reading is from Nehemiah, chapter 4, from verse 15 to 23. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all return to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and is spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continue the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also say to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each has his weapon even when he went 
for water. This is what a God. Thank you, uh, Cheng. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that as we keep your word opened, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Help me, Lord, to share your word faithfully and diligently before you and your people. And would you bless the proclamation of your word in this place and wherever it is preached across the world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, battling and building. Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning as we follow our series in the book of Nehemiah. If you're visiting here with us this morning, we've started a series of sermons, talks on the book of Nehemiah at our morning services, evening services. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And so today we're going to look at this topic, battling and building. We're going to look at the text, which is Nehemiah chapter 4, 15 to 23, the passage that was read to us. And I will connect Ephesians chapter 6 as well. Well, if you have been involved in any building work or renovations in your own home, I'm sure you would agree with me that it must have been a challenge. Really? Any renovations done in your place? Has it been challenging and stressful? Right. Yes, it is, isn't it? Building work is always challenging. As we go around our streets, I see builders out there. Properties are brought down and new buildings are put up. And the work is going on very fast. And sometimes they're not there. When it rains, the builders are not there usually. Sometimes they're there, but other times they're not there. And I can understand why. They don't want to be out in the one in the rain, and it's a dangerous thing as well. Building work is tough going. We had our own renovations here at church with the new kitchen, the new creche, the toilets. And it was tough work for the board of management to work through that whole process. And finally, to have the end product. And we are enjoying it, aren't we? The new facilities. Building work is always hard. I used to work uh, on building sites. You might not think so, but I did. I'm not a builder. I was just the guy who cleaned bricks. Well, I used to work on building sites when I was a student in Geelong. And I used to come down to Melbourne and someone gave me a job. A very gracious man to clean bricks during the summer holidays. And I earned quite a bit of money. It was good money, so I took the job. And I had to clean bricks with acid, had acid buckets with me. And then I stood on the ladder. Now, I think I wouldn't want to do that again. This ladder with a very thin um, bar across it. And I had the acid bar. I had a scraper. And I had a brush. I don't know how I did it. But I was up there on double-story buildings, doing the brushing, scraping the cement, and again washing it down. It's a tough work. And I came home, and most of the time my pants were all torn everywhere because of the acid that's come onto it. Survived it, friends. It was a challenging work, especially if you had to work on two-story buildings and being on a ladder. You see, just finding good weather is tough for builders because it could be, as I said, dangerous. Now this morning, I'm not going to talk about buildings. But in a sense, we are all each building something in our lives, aren't we? We are building something in our lives. We are building our families. We are investing time. You have children with your children. You're investing time with your grandchildren. To those of you who are blessed with grandchildren. As they run around this place, I see some grandparents 
Oh, they're wondering what's going to happen with our grandchild. Where is he going to sit? Where is he going to sit? We are building into their lives. As a church family, we are building into God's family here at St. Stephen's. In our communities, we are building communities. And we have a wonderful spirit in Australia, as you know. If there's a tragedy somewhere, the communities come together and they help and they support and build back the communities. And we are building something in our lives. Here, right at St. Stephen's, we are trying to build a church family. We are trying, by God's grace, to build the kingdom of God here, right? We are about gospel ministry here at St. Stephen's. Is that clear? We are about building God's work here. We are not here for ourselves. We are not here to build myself up as a minister of this congregation or any leader of this place so that we are highly exalted. No. We are here in one focus. We are a one-focused church. A gospel-centered, Christ-driven, God-honoring, Bible-believing, Bible-proclaiming church. That's what we're on about here. We're on about seeking the lost for Jesus. We're on about building people up in the faith. We have that in our purpose statement, in our passion, in our mission statements. Uh, please read it. We are about building people up. So as we do this, friends, as we deal with this constant, with this building work, we also deal with the constant attack of our enemy, Satan, who wants to destroy our work. We have personal challenges in our lives. You know that. We have challenges in a church family. As it grows, we are mindful of the attacks of the enemy. And Nehemiah and the people, they had to face challenges. Severe challenges as they took on this job to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, in our text this morning, it's a quite an interesting text, chapter 4, 15 to 23, Charles Spurgeon. That's Charles Spurgeon. He wrote a book called The All-Round Ministry. And when I read that book, and it was the, it was the thing in our, in our in our class, uh, when we were studying this, we said, surely Charles Spurgeon, he did have an all-round ministry. <laughs> he was a really, I'm sure people who knew he would have come across him as a great personality. Now, Charles Spurgeon, one of the best ever preachers in the world, started his church magazine in 1865, and he borrowed the title of this magazine from Nehemiah chapter 4. And he called the publication, The Sword and Travel. The Sword and Travel. And Spurgeon said that this was a record of combat with sin and labor for the Lord. And here in Nehemiah 4.15 onwards, we see that there is both building and battling that is going on here. There is, there is this battling that is going on on the one hand, and there is a building process that is going on as well. And so this morning, we continue this series, Arise and Build. And we're going to pick up from chapter 4, 15, 23. And let me make, again, some introductory comments uh, to refresh our minds again on this book. You see, Jerusalem was a very important city because it was connected to God's name. It was connected to God's reputation on earth. It is where God's people lived and worshipped the Lord. They were to be a city that shone forth to the other cities of the world as the witness of God. And when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem, they destroyed the walls and they encircled the city. And King Nebuchadnezzar tore down the walls, 
burned the gates. And this made God's people vulnerable. Life was not secure in the city. And news of the situation in Jerusalem reached Nehemiah. And we see his response in Nehemiah chapter 1. He was emotionally distraught, broken, devastated. He wept, he moaned, he fasted, he prayed. And the question is why? Why was Nehemiah so concerned about the walls and gates of Jerusalem? Why does he want to rebuild the city walls? After all, they are just walls and gates. What was his purpose? I believe, and I said this previously, that his entire purpose is not just to rebuild the walls, but the people in the city, which we see in Nehemiah chapter 8 through to 13. And this building project is designed to rebuild God's people, to bring back worship, to bring back praise, to bring back the witness of God. It is a means to an end, and it is not an end in itself. And I'd like to remind, remind us once again this morning, most importantly, that the book of Nehemiah points us to Christ. When you see Nehemiah leaving his position of privilege to come and to serve the people, to remove their shame and distress, we see a picture of Christ who left his position of exaltation, humbled himself to remove our shame and distress. And so in this sense, we are tracking Christ in this book. And now we read in Nehemiah chapter 4 that there was opposition to the work. We saw that uh, last time, 7 and 8, Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashod. They combined their forces to intensify the opposition by intimidation and death threats to God's work. Sounds familiar? It's happened today in the wider world. Our mission partners are going through real challenges in their lives. And we noted last time that there were four strategies that were adopted by the opposition. And they were psychological warfare, physical threats, discouragement, and the instilling of fear. Where you instill fear in a person's life and fear can paralyze you. Have you sometimes gone in a dark alleyway and you heard a noise? So, wow. You felt so afraid. I was once, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure many of us don't like snakes. <laughs> and in our house, back in Sri Lanka, we, some of the houses don't have all, their, all the ceilings that we have. Uh, we had a particular roof in our kitchen, um, an asbestos roof, by the way. And I was in the kitchen one day, and on the rafters, lo and behold, what do I see? <laughs> I see a snake. We had a snake in the kitchen on your roof where you can see and wonder what's going to happen next. I tell you what, I stood there, I did not move. Well, in a sense, you don't move when there's a snake, isn't it? It's best to stand just where you are. And the snake was going on the rafter over my head. I thought, ah, I ran straight after that to my mom and dad and said, this is it. And in Sri Lanka, what we did is we were able to throw kerosene oil towards the snake and he just ran away. That was it. I don't know how it worked, but it did. So, it doesn't matter. And it causes you to paralyze yourself. You get so scared that you stand and you can't move. And discouragement brings you down. Physical threats that the people had. There was psychological warfare. 
ridicule that was taking place. The opponents ridiculed the Jews with their building efforts. You see, words are very powerful, aren't they, friends? Right? With our words, we can do so much hurt. With our words, we can cut a person down. With our words, we can build a person up. And I have learned through the times, and I've chatted with so many of my my colleagues who said to me, Chris, there are times that you need to just not say a word. It is hard at times. But if you learn it, you learn it the hard way because words can be so hurtful as well. Words can either be discouraging or encouraging. So having ridiculed the Jews, did Nehemiah and the people stop? No, they did not stop the work. And then in verses 15 to 18, when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And then we have this amazing picture. Notice that God had frustrated the plans of the enemies. Why? Why? Because God was interested in what was going on in the rebuilding of the walls. You see, God is interested in his work. Elsewhere in the scriptures, in Nehemiah, this work is called anyone. What's it called? It's called a, a good work. <laughs> because God is involved in that work. God was at work through Nehemiah and the people in this project. And Mission Impossible is moving on, and in time, it becomes Mission Possible. Wasn't there a show called Mission Impossible? And in time, it becomes Mission Possible. This is not because of human power, but because God stood behind this project. Because Nehemiah recognized this. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I answered them, By saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Notice Nehemiah's view of God. He says that the God of heaven will give us success. And he has a strategy now. He divides the people into two groups. One that was working, and the other one that was ready to fight. I've tried to picture this for a moment. Just, just, Just try and picture it in your mind. What would it have been like? All these thousands of people, they got their... They travel on the, on the one hand, they're working, and they've got a sword, and they've got a spear, and they're doing the work. Must, I mean, it's an incredible sight, isn't it, to see it. Just imagine that. And what are they doing? They are guarding, they are working, they are battling, and they are building. From that day on, verse 16, if you have your Bibles open, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind, and the whole house of, of the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. You see, one is working, the other is ready to fight. They are staying at it. See, those who carried burdens, verse 17b, were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So there was a trumpeter there as well. You see, Nehemiah's organization, he's worked it out. They are there and they are working, ready to fight. They are staying at it. He devised a plan. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside Nehemiah. He had the trumpeter in place. And then verses 19 and 20, I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread 
and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. God will fight for us. Where is Nehemiah? He's with the trumpeter. Safe place to be. And when the trumpeter trumpets, he says, rally to us. Come. We're going to get ready for battle here. And he addressed the nobles and officials and the rest of the people. Words of encouragement. In verse 19, and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest, the work is great. It is a great work. They say gospel work, friends, is a great work. Right? God's work is a great work. Never put it down. And God will fight for us. He's right next to the trumpeter, ready for battle. And notice something else in the text. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction. And the latter part of verse 16. And verse 17a. And where were the leaders in this process? What do you see in your text? Anyone? You got your Bibles open, right? We're studying God's word together. Where were the leaders? And the leaders, oh, they were having lattes. No. The leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. And that hit me when I was preparing this text. You see, leaders, this is what you do. You stand behind the people of God and you support them and you encourage them in the good work that God is doing. You see, that's what we are called to do as leaders. Yes, we admonish, correct and everything else. But at the end of the day, friends, the leaders stood behind the people of the house of Judah who were building. And they didn't just stand by. It was a collective representation of we are supporting the work that is going on because it is a good work. You see, David rushed to Goliath. Nehemiah's people went to the wall. If they attacked, they were to go to the trumpet. And the people would be there. And the leaders would be there. And notice something, friends. Now you will know who aren't leaders by title and leaders by action. You see, there is no status here, is there? You see, leaders by action and leaders by title. Two different things. You see, we can be leaders of title. And we keep the title and the status. But what do people see? (laughs) They see actions. They see you at work. They see leaders who are willing to go down to their level. Leaders who are willing to wash the feet of others. Just like Jesus did. The servant leader who washed the disciples' feet. You see, that is what we see here, isn't it? The leaders led the people and the leaders stood behind. This is leadership, friends. The leadership stood behind and was strong for Nehemiah. They stood behind the work that caught the vision and they trusted the God of heaven to give them success. And Nehemiah says this in verse 20, Our God will fight for us. Who stands behind this work? Who stands behind this church? I'm missing someone who would have already answered. (laughs) We know she's not here this morning. Friends, who stands behind the work of the church? The Lord stands behind the work of the church. Thank you. The Lord stands behind the work of this church. Yeah? Otherwise, we won't exist. 
we will, our work will come to absolutely zilch. It will come to absolutely nothing. If the Lord doesn't stand behind the work of this congregation, we can achieve nothing. Yeah? Because by our strength, we're just gone. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Might be not here even tonight. But the Lord stands behind this work. And this is what gives me confidence as a minister, as a pastor, to see and to know always. I remind myself always that the Lord stands behind his church. That's a great comfort for us, friends. And so we labored at the work, 21 to 23 Half of them held the spears. I also said to the people, verse 22, at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be on guard for us night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard, verse 23, who followed me, none of us took took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. For 52 days, this is what Nehemiah did, that work that went on. They're at it. They want to finish it. It's a 24-7 work. Sacrifice was made, and they were stepping out. G.I. Packer has written an excellent commentary on Nehemiah. It's called A Passion for Faithfulness. And this is what he says in respect to these chapters. Let me quote him. Nehemiah chapters 4 through to 6 is nothing more than spiritual warfare. And Nehemiah's real opponents, lurking behind the human opponents, critics and grumblers who occupied his attention directly, was, who is it? Satan. Whose name means adversary, who operates as the permanent enemy of God. God's people, God's work, and God's praise. Very telling, isn't it? It's very clear there. Right in further, Packer states this, Satan is a hater, is a wrecker, and a destroyer, and only when he is ruining God's work in individuals and communities is he happy. At the growth group on Friday morning, there's one lady who said to me, Chris, we are praying a lot. And there's a godly lady, you know, she said to me, she said to the group, but we are not praying that God will destroy the work of Satan in our church. What godly words from a a saintly lady. And she says to me, she is praying that Satan will not get a foothold in the gospel work of this church. Some of you are in the growth group, you would pick up what was said. And how true is that? That Satan, look, look at what Packer says. Satan is a hater. He's a wrecker, he's a destroyer, and only when he, is, when he is ruining God's work in the lives of individuals and communities, is he happy. So are we going to let Satan be happy? No. No, no. And I need to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself, what part am I playing? Let Satan not get a foothold in my life. So that I will be a distraction in the lives of others. Let us never be an instrument in that sense for Satan's work. Always we need to check our lives and our actions and our words. And support gospel ministry for his glory, not for ours. You see the Bible speaks of Satan this way, doesn't it? The ruler of this world... The God of this world, 
the prince of the power of the air, the cosmic power over this present darkness. The description of Satan. In the Bible, he is named in a variety of ways. He is a slanderer who turns truth into lies. He is an accuser, accusing God's people. He is an enemy, the dragon, the murderer, the father of lies, the destroyer. He is like a serpent that can bite us when we least expect it. His serpent likeness is his sneakiness. It's like a snake that comes from behind and before you know it, it's ready to pounce on you. I've seen snakes and I'm only saying some of the snakes that I've seen back home. I've seen the cobra. I've seen them. I've seen snake dancers do all those things with those snakes. And you see, where the moment his hood becomes big, he's ready to strike. But it comes from behind. Before you know it, it's there. Ready. This is Satan is that kind of a strike, striker, friends. C.S. Lewis had this to say about Satan. He says, there are, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to dis- believe in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You see, he's a formidable enemy. He's an enemy who is at work. Satan is in opposition to God's work. Like a snake slithers and comes around, so is Satan, the tempter, who tempted our Lord and Savior Jesus, the great opponent. You see, church leaders and the congregation are vulnerable to Satan's attacks within the church. Let's not fool ourselves. I'm just alerting you to it. We are vulnerable to his attacks. Satan will seek to destroy the church's life and ministry. I think people tend to think in terms of extraordinary when we think about the devil. And the New Testament pictures the devil not mainly as doing something extraordinary, but as doing something very ordinary. Deadly, horrible arrow shooting at our hearts to bring us down. As the church progresses in Christ, friends, let us be mindful of his schemes to destroy God's work by causing all kinds of chaos. Paul warns the Corinthian church with these words, says this, part of that, the text, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. The Puritan William Gurnalls was, was fond of saying this, where God is on one side, you may be sure to find Satan on the other side. <laughs> so he's an adversary. If you're a Christian, by this I mean you trusted Jesus. Then you're in spiritual battle. You're on the battlefront. Now if you choose to go to the bench well, and take a rest, if you're on the sidelines, take time off from playing the game, from playing the field, then Satan will leave you alone. If you say no to the battleship and yes to the cruise ship, he'll just wave you goodbye. Because you're in the cruise ship. You're not in the battleship. But if you're in the battle, then you will be engaged in warfare. Spiritual warfare. It may be mental. It may be emotional. It may be psychological. It may be physical. But the adversity will be there. Forget about Sanballat. Forget about Tobiah. 
there will always be Sanballats and Tobias. And you need to know who is behind Sanballat and Tobiah. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against the Sanballats and Tobias of this world. We wrestle against principalities, powers of darkness, against the evil one. And don't underestimate, but don't also overestimate his power because our Lord stands behind us. In Ephesians chapter 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of darkness. Authorities against this cosmic power. And so Paul says in Romans, in sorry, Ephesians 6, finally be. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally be strong in yourself. No. To be strong in the Lord. And he says, put on the armor of God. So that when the attacks come, you will be able to stand. Have you put on the armor of God? You got the shield, the helmet, the breastplate. You're ready. You got the sword. Our weapons are not the swords and guns, friends. Our weapons is the word of God. We have spiritual weapons. We don't stand with, with knives and guns around this building doing work. Our work is a spiritual work. Remember, our God is an awesome God. And as I wind up this sermon this morning, let me say this. Our great and awesome God indeed came to earth at Christmas. Our God will fight for us. We stand on another side, 2,500 years later, when our great Savior, our great God, our awesome God, came to earth Christmas next month, next Sunday. Well, not Christmas Day, but December. Right. We'll have the Christmas tree, we'll have lots of things, Christmas carols going wrong all over the place. Our great and awesome Savior indeed came to earth. He came to earth and on that very first Christmas as a babe whose name is Jesus. He lived a perfect life. And at the cross, he defeated Satan. Jesus has put a chain on Satan. He has bound the strong man. Now we go plunder his house. Therefore we will not fear him. Now that doesn't mean I don't know that he, that he is greater than me, but greater is the one who is in me than the one in this world. Because our God is in us through his Holy Spirit. Have we forgotten the work of the Holy Spirit, friends? Where is the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit, the, the great Spirit of God, the great Comforter, the Paraclete, the one who is, is described in the Scriptures as dynamis, dynamite, is the Spirit of God in us. That when Satan comes, it's the Spirit of God that fights those battles. And I want to pray, friends, that we as a church here at St. Stephen's will continue to be a Spirit-filled church. Christ has won the victory at the cross. Remember, the Lord fights for you and he fights for me. The battle is on, but Jesus has won the battle. So, friends, this morning, we must stand up for Christ. We must go on with his work. We are his instruments. Here we are, we are present, we are ready. In prayer, we call upon the Lord. Lord, we are not able to win this spiritual battle. But we call upon you to strengthen our hands, to do the work that you have called us to do. 
until this earthly life has come to an end. Because one day, you and I will be no more. Right? That'll be in 30 years, 40 years time, unless Christ comes before that, 50 years time, there'll be a different congregation there. There'll be a different guy preaching from you. God's work will continue. You and I will be no more. But the life that he's given us to live now, how are you living that life? Are you in the building work? God's work? Or are you not? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are working in our hearts and lives. Father, we pray for your grace upon our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. I pray your rich blessing upon every person here this morning. And for our precious families, wherever they may be, Lord. Father, that you would do a great work in our lives. As we build our lives on Christ. As we build your church here, Lord. May we stand strong and stand up in Christ alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.